Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister, Katrina, and as always, everything we need to follow the service is both on our printed sheets and on the screen. Please stay and have a cup of tea or coffee at the end of the service. If you didn't get a that a bit of um, kind of nominative determinism or something that we sang rain down and, it, and it's raining <laughs> outside. Whenever we sing songs that have rain in, I'm just grateful we're here and not over the road because it always used to literally rain down. It's good to be together to worship God. And as our call to worship this morning, we're going to hear the opening verses of Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the people of Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the priests of God say, his love endures forever. Let all who worship God say, his love endures forever. And so we are going to sing our praises to God as we join together in our opening hymn of praise. And if you are able, you're invited to stand as we do so. Shocking. 
Let's come to God in prayer. I will guide us in prayer and then we will join together in the Lord's Prayer using the language and version which for each one of us feels the most normal and natural. Let us pray together. Eternal God, utterly reliable, totally dependable, we gather in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and seek the inspiration of your Holy Spirit as we bring our worship, praise and prayer. We look around us at the world of which we are just a tiny part. Our planet is beautiful and wonderful, teeming with all kinds of life, from the single-celled amoeba to the lofty giraffe, the curious platypus, and the cuddly domestic pets. Distant stars and swirling galaxies shine as lights in the darkness of night on Earth. And our own star, Sol, draws us into an orbit of times and seasons. It blows our minds if we focus for more than a few fleeting seconds on this great mystery. And yet you, our creator God, are active in it all. We look again at the world of which we are just a tiny part. Our oceans are polluted and poisoned. Plastic waste traps and injures aquatic life, chokes streams and estuaries. Natural disasters sometimes triggered or exacerbated by human greed or carelessness, threaten and destroy habitats and livelihoods. It challenges our comfort if we focus for more than a few fleeting seconds on this tragic reality. Yet you, our Redeemer God, are there within it all. We look one more time at the world of which we are just a tiny part. Glimpsing the signs of hope and new beginnings. As dependence on plastic straws and single-use cups is challenged. As beaches are cleaned and trees are planted. Grassroots organisations speak truth to power. Children dream dreams. Old people protest on behalf of those they will never meet. It gladdens our hearts if we focus for more than a few fleeting seconds on this hopeful possibility. And you, sustainer God, are present and active in it all. We look at our world at your world, both beautiful and broken. And we join our voices in praying for the day when your rule of justice and peace will be fulfilled as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So I thought I'd come to where the children are, rather than asking the children to come to where. So hopefully um, you'll be able to see, hear me. And do you want to come and sit so you can see the pictures in the storybook? Okay. So the story is called, What Does God Look Like? God looks like nothing. And nothing looks like God. But there are many things you cannot see, and we are still sure that they are there. Like cool breezes on a hot summer's night, or the rays of the sun drying puddles of rain. Like the long hours until supper time, or the short minutes of a day at the beach. You know they are there, but there is nothing to see. Children 
like the kindness in someone's voice or the happiness in a song. Like the pride when mom or dad helps in your class or the jumpy excitement at the start of a holiday. You know it's there, but there is nothing to see. Like the love your mum adds to your goodnight story, or your dad's hooray when you first tie your shoes. Like your hope when it's your turn to bat, or your worry when your dog runs away. You know it's there, but there is nothing to see. God doesn't look like anything either, because there is nothing to see. But everyone and everything gives us clues that God is here. Clues that point us to the one we cannot see. So what does God look like? We don't know. We can't see God. And yet, we see what God does and how God is in each other and in the world around us. So let's just stay seated as we sing this little song. Maybe three times, Paul? Thank you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good.
for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever? Who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever? Who spread the earth on the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever? Who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever? The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. if any of you have ever heard this definition of a university lecture. A university lecture is a means of transforming information from the lecturer's notes to those of the students without it passing through the brains of either. Well, that's what they used to say when I was a student. Maybe things have changed. And I have to confess, that tends to be my go-to response when I think about published liturgy, prayer-type things, which, at their worst, can become a kind of unthinking repetition, week in, week out, with not too much obvious spiritual value. Now, that is an extreme view, and it's one that, over the years, I have been challenged, in, in my, not by other people, but within myself, about because I've come to value the fact that if there's a day when you go to church and it's really tough and you're not really sure why you're there or if you want to be there actually those same repeated familiar patterns and familiar phrases can carry you into worship into the presence of God when it might be more difficult so at the best these ritualized repeated responses can almost become like our breathing, something we do without thinking about it, but which is vital to our health and well-being. And I've actually also come to understand, I spent, as many of you know, I spent a year working with a Catholic church, how doing the rosary works, and, and people seem to be mumbling away doing this and their minds gone off onto all kinds of other places. But that doesn't mean it's invalid because actually what they're doing is there's a connection between where their mind's going and what they're doing and the praying and the thinking and the mind wandering 
somehow can become as one. But the truth is, my go-to for public worship would not be that kind of call and response that we heard in the first few verses of Psalm 136. It's what um, is a kind of, of liturgical form where there's a cantor or a person who speaks or sings a line and the whole congregation respond. And we sort of heard that very clearly in what Katrina read for us. According to one of the commentators I looked at this week, Psalm 136 is what is known as an imperatival antiphonal hymn. Okay, so now you're as wise as I am. Imperatival antiphonal hymn. What on earth does that mean? Well, it's imperatival because it's written in the imperative, the do, the command, the voice of command. Do this, sings the cantor. cantor. And then the people respond, which is what antiphon means, because God is so good. So it's the call and response. Do this because God has done that. Do this because God has done that. And so on it goes. This particular psalm is sometimes called the Great Hallel. Those who have got good memories, a couple of weeks back, we thought about the Hallel psalms, the psalms that are sung at the festivals of um, Israel. And this, although it's not part of that, it is generally thought to be in the same style. Almost certainly written after the exile in Babylon and most likely for a Passover celebration. And that will become evident later on. And it begins with a call to praise God's loyal love and then moves in through three distinct areas of gratitude for that past experience before ending with praise and thanksgiving. We're going to hear this morning some sections from the psalm, not all of it, and we're going to intersperse that with some music and some reflection as we think what it is that we mean when we say God's love endures forever. So let's begin at the beginning, a very good place to start, as the sound of music would tell us. The psalm opens up with a command, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And the people reply, his love endures forever. And they repeat this twice, give thanks to the God of gods, give thanks to the Lord of lords. They are quite clear to whom they are singing. And then we move on into a celebration of God's love revealed in the natural world. The universe full of stars and planets, galaxies and other wonders, which even today we don't fully understand, though scientists are doing an amazing job. And yet, you know what? It's stable, it's dependable. The stars don't suddenly rearrange themselves overnight. If we look at the night sky, it tends to be the same. The earth, the dry land where the humans live, the rivers and the oceans teeming with life, the times and the seasons, they just continue to be pretty much dependable even despite everything that humans have done that can mess with that. We get the spring, then the summer, then the autumn, and then the winter. And of course, there are changes due to global warming and other things. But basically, our, our world is dependable. God is invisible. You can't see God. Very rarely do we hear God speak directly. And yet, 
what the psalmist seems to be saying is look around you. Look at this beautiful, complicated, simple, diverse and wonderful creation. Look around you and you will glimpse something of God's love. Whether it's the stars at night, whether it's the view from the mountaintop, whether it's the scent of the flowers, whether it's the intimacy of a lover, whatever it might be, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. In a few moments, we're going to go on and hear a bit more of the psalm and reflect on what comes next. But first of all, we're going to listen to a recording of a contemporary worship song inspired very much by Psalm 136. In fact, it's the only hymn in my software that pops up if I say purely Psalm 136. This one pops up. All I'm going to ask you to do is listen carefully to the words and see what it says about this God whose love endures forever.
O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. O give thanks to him who smote the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in sunder, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, the God of Exodus plays with Pharaoh like a puppet. Discuss. I never actually wrote that essay, but it was one of the options for a first-year assignment on the Hebrew Bible, or the Old Testament. I chose instead to write something about the prophet Jeremiah. But from the moment I read the title of that essay, it imprinted itself on my mind. I remember this 20 years later. What kind of God is it that we see in the scriptures and what do we do with that? In the worship song we just heard by Chris Tomlin, which actually passes an awful lot of my tests for being okay in its language, we get the phrase, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God's love endures forever. It's been lifted out of the context of the psalm and plonked into a Christian song. And I have to admit that whenever I'm at an event where this song is sung, I end up feeling decidedly uncomfortable. There's a pretty good chance we'll sing it at the Baptist Assembly this week, and there's a pretty good chance I will end up squirming. Because I cannot unknow where that phrase comes from. I cannot unknow that this phrase is used to describe the killing of the firstborn of the Egyptian, the drowning of the Egyptians in the sea, God who smites those who oppose, God who drives out the nations who are not us. And yet, and yet there is something about that image of a God whose arm is outstretched and whose hand is strong to reach out to those in need. It's a struggle. What the song does is certainly one way you can deal with the problem, isn't it? You just go, well, that's a great thing to say. We have this God who reaches out to us in our need. Let's just take that and forget the rest of it. Let's hold on to that beautiful truth and ignore the horrible context. 
In fact, there are some people that go further and they say, well, the outstretched arms and the mighty hand clearly, I disagree, but they would say clearly, prefigures the cross. Well, actually, Jesus had two arms outstretched. And I think hands full of holes were not very mighty or strong in that moment. There was incredible vulnerability and fragility within the God whose arms were reached out in love for us. If we try to simply make it fit, if we try to just paper over the cracks, I think we do ourselves, we do the psalmist, and yes, we do God a disservice. I don't know anybody who can read the two central sections of this psalm and not feel uncomfortable. Not if they take seriously what it is they are reading or hearing. This is the song of the victors. This is the people celebrating the memory of how they overcame their oppressors and of how in that struggle they believed God was with them. And it's biased. All recollections are biased. All storytellers are biased. All historians are biased. The BBC is biased. Nobody tells something from an agenda-free perspective. They miss out the bits that don't make them look good. And they make what has happened fit their view of God. Now, we could get a little bit um, superior here and say, well, we wouldn't do that, would we? We're not like that. We're much more sophisticated, much more aware. Really? Have you ever sung God Save the Queen? Or Flower of Scotland? Or Jerusalem? None of them is free from that same sense of the story of the victor the story of us over against them that we see in Psalm 136. And I'm sure it's true in the, in the national songs of many other nations, I just don't happen to know them. But this isn't just a national anthem, this isn't a song sung by people saying, look at us, aren't we wonderful, we whooped the English or we squished the Scots or whatever it was. This is a hymn addressed to God. And we can't just go, well. But it might make us think, what is it that we should or shouldn't sing or say in worship to God, whether private or public? Many, many years ago, when I was leaving college and uh, was having a really difficult time finding a church that was prepared to, to take on a, a minister who talked about these kind of things, I suspect, one of my minister friends said to me, just make like the psalmist. And I knew what he meant. Because the psalmists don't mince their words, do they? They just blurt it out. It's not honed beautifully to be acceptable in polite society. It's just how it is. So they worship God really fully but actually also the nasty thoughts come out as well. 
We'll be looking at another psalm next week, which ends in quite a nasty place because it's an honest, authentic in the presence of God. Those who like poetry, and I do, will know that this is a medium that actually allows the writer to express with strong emotions and powerful images. It doesn't seek simply to be a statement of the facts. And the Psalms are, in fact, kind of poetry. And whilst I do think there is a difference between what I can say to God in the privacy of my own bedroom or my own sitting room and what I sing in public on a Sunday, what's suitable, what the Psalms like this one do is actually make me realise that I can be a terrible hypocrite. I can come to church on a Sunday and I can sing nice, benign, happy, worshipy songs and make God all kind of nicey-nicey. And actually, in my head, I'm not in such a great place. I might be angry, I might be sad, I might be fed up, I might be thinking nasty thoughts. I could be doing that now if I could multi-think, but I can't. But I do wonder if partly the reason this psalm disturbs me, anyway, and perhaps other people, is because there's a truth there about ourselves that's not always so nice to hear. I stand here being nice minister person on the Sunday. But what's really going on in my heart? What's really going on in all of our hearts? So this psalm has a context. It's a Passover hymn, hence the reflection on that story. It has a genre, style, it's poetry. It invites us to look into ourselves and to recognise that we do have thoughts that perhaps are not quite so lovely. But it's also a hymn in which the singers keep saying the same thing over and over again. God's love endures forever. And that truth goes beyond the context or how we're feeling or what's going on for us. It goes, continues to be true beyond time or place. It was true for the ancient Israelites It's true for the people in the time of Jesus. It is true for us and it will be true for those who come after us. To look around at the natural world and grasp its beauty reminds us of God's faithful love. And if we were to tell the stories of our own past and how God was present within them, not that we triumphed, not that we beat our enemies, but actually that God was there with us in the struggle, that God was there with us as we worked out how to get through. If we can sing of a God who is faithful in all of that, then it stirs within us a hope of a God who might be faithful to us in the future. And actually, do you know what? This psalm is surprisingly Trinitarian in the message. 
Give thanks to the creator God who is good and whose love is everlasting. Give thanks to the redeemer God who rescues those who are oppressed and whose love is everlasting. Give thanks to the sustainer God who is with us in the here and now and whose love is everlasting. Let's hear now the closing words of the psalm. O give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. O give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so we're going to sing again. And I have to confess that I have made a non-legal change to this hymn. In its original form, it's the right hand of God who does everything. Unfortunately, I'm left-handed, so I feel excluded by a song that speaks of God's right hand. So I have changed it in keeping with the, the psalm to the strong hand of God. Thanks, Paul. Thank you.
that was near and far-flung lens. <coughs> Let's come to God now with our prayers for that world of which we are a part. Let's pray together. God, whose love is everlasting, whose work of creation and redemption continues, even as you sustain the stability we take for granted, we come to you now with our prayers for others and for each other. Recognising our own often unconscious biases, we admit that sometimes we can seek the good of us over against them, however we define that, and whatever the context. So we ask that you would enable us to recognise and value our shared humanity over any historical enmity, political rivalry, or even religious bigotry. These are strong words. These are powerful, emotive topics. And yet you, loving God, welcome our honesty and join us in the work of transformation. As events on the world stage continue to disturb our thoughts, and as powerful political leaders of all parties and all ideologies exercise immense power, we pray that wisdom and compassion, honesty and integrity might transform despair to hope for the most vulnerable and the most disempowered people groups and nations. We thank you for the work of international aid agencies and missionary organisations who go into dangerous and demanding situations to bring help and hope to those in greatest need. We remember today the work of BMS World Mission and the work of Operation Agri who work in such complicated places, especially we think of the work supporting rural communities in Malawi with agriculture. Closer to home, we thank you for our union of Baptist churches here in Scotland. Some are small and some are large. Some are quite trendy and others are very traditional. And each of them seeks to share your good news where they are. So bless each one of them, we pray. Closer still, as your people gathered here, we pray for those named in our prayer diary for this week. These are all people who are quiet and unassuming and whose gentle presence and loyal service is a blessing to us all. So we pray for Alan, 
who shares his musical talents in the choir, organises the distribution of the church flowers and offers lifts to others in need. We pray for Edith and Tom and their wider family, giving thanks especially for Edith's willingness to take on important invisible roles that are such a help to all of us on a Sunday morning and for the warm greeting she offers to others when it is her turn to steward. We pray for Beth as she studies hard at university and takes up an important role in our Sunday school. That she will continue to blossom and flourish as the young woman God has made her to be. In a few moments of silence, knowing that we can speak freely to you, we offer our own private prayers, petitions and emotions. Lastly, we pray for ourselves that we would be aware of your steadfast love for us day by day, assured of your presence with us in the challenges we must face and encouraged by the truth that your love is never ending. We make these prayers in the name of Christ. Amen.
take our silver and our gold. We don't say, Lord, any more, not a mite, would we withhold, but we do say, all by thee to be controlled. So take these gifts of money and take the lives we offer with them, that each may be employed in being and speaking good news to your people here in Glasgow and beyond to the honour of Christ. Amen. Our closing hymn, Your hand, O God, has guided your flock from age to age. Our forebears owned your goodness, and we their deeds record. And both of this bear witness, one church, one faith, one Lord. As we leave this place to return to our everyday lives, may we know the blessing of the God whose promises are trustworthy and true. And may our lives show forth the everlasting love God has for all creation, today and every day. Mm -hmm.